Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time together. Thank you again. And thank you for the amazing things we are hearing from your word. Thank you that you have chosen us. And we are your royal priesthood. We are your royal family. That is just staggering to think. That is who we are. So, Father, I pray so much that, again, you would um, uh, show us even more of your um, glorious truths um, of who we are as church and what that means for us as we think of um, serving. So, please, Father, be with Gary as he speaks. Keep his voice going. Help us to keep listening. And we would take so much from this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to you, Gary. We're thinking about... uh... How to be an ambitious Christian. Um, the main passage is going to be Philippians 3, 7 to 14. If you want to have that in front of you, Philippians chapter 3, 7 to 14. And you might want to have a finger in Genesis 11, but that's not so essential. Philippians 3, 7 to 14. If I was to say that you were an ambitious person, would I be paying you a compliment or criticising you? Ambition is a kind of two-edged sword, isn't it? Sometimes it seems to be a really good thing. Sometimes it seems a really bad thing. Some of the greatest Christian heroes have been people of powerful and unwavering ambition. They've had drive and determination to get things done. And they have changed the world. Think of William Wilberforce. Think of Mother Teresa. Think of the Apostle Paul. How the world needs people with that kind of ambition. But some ambitious people ride roughshod over others. They achieve their success at everyone else's expense. And frankly, they give ambition a bad name. So how can we redeem ambition? And what part should ambition have in our lives as Christians? Well, let's start by looking at what happens when ambition goes wrong, when ambition gets distorted. The people of Genesis 11 had a great plan A great ambition, a prestige building that was the ancient world's equivalent of the Millennium Dome and the London Eye rolled into one. They would build a spectacular tower that would reach to the sky. Verse 3, they said to each other, come let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. The Lord, of course, frustrated their plan and the whole project turned out to be a disaster for the whole of mankind. Why? Their motives were all wrong. Their powerful, God-given sense of ambition had become horribly distorted by sin. Look at verse 4. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. So that we may make a name for ourselves. 
Their ambition had become self-serving, self-glorifying, proud and boastful. They weren't setting out to make the world a better place. They were in it for what they could get out of it. It was the ultimate ego trip. And distorted ambition remains a trap for us all. How easily we succumb to the temptation of making a name for ourselves. How prone we are to want people to think well of us. How easily we find ourselves like the mother of James and John trying to obtain special privileges for our children, if not for ourselves. But just because ambition can be distorted, it doesn't mean that it's always wrong. If there's bad ambition, there's also good ambition. Drive, determination, a sense of purpose is God-given and can be powerfully used for God's glory and for the benefit of the world. By God's grace, men and women of ambition have attempted and achieved great things for the world. Thank God for the Holy Spirit-inspired movers and shakers in God's world. The challenge to you and me is how we're going to live our lives now. Um, when I, I was a curate, we had a parish evangelist who came to join us who was a little bit younger than me. And he did fantastic work for the Lord. And then he got a brain tumour. And at the age of 42, he died. And uh, I went to his funeral. And the preacher said, some people might think that this is a waste of a life. Or it's a life been cut short. But actually, he said, it wasn't. Because he'd completed the work that God had given him to do. He was a man of great drive and determination and ambition. But he'd completed the work God had given him to do. Uh, We're going to the cartoon next. The cartoon sums up the challenge. What will you, what will I be? Just average, just bumbling along? Or will we do something memorable? Some of us may have too much ambition for our own good. We're too driven. We're too hardworking, too determined. To be honest, we could ease up for a bit. But some of us have too little ambition. We're drifting along when we could be achieving. We need to reignite our ambition and get a move on. I always think the the challenge is, who are the people who really need a Holy Spirit kick up the backside? And who are the people who need to be told to have a rest? Well, we've got to work out which we are. We need to reignite our ambition and get a move on. We need to cultivate a redeemed ambition. Because there are so many different ways in which we can be ambitious. We can have a great ambition in our relational lives. To have the ambition to be a good husband or wife or mother or father or grandparent or aunt or uncle or friend 
is a worthy ambition. We can have a great ambition in our working lives. To be a good teacher or a doctor or a coal miner or an accountant or a bus driver or whatever your job may be, that's a worthy ambition. We can have a great ambition in our church lives to be, to be a good children's worker or a home group leader or a science person or PCC member or to be involved in some other aspect of the church's ministry or mission and to do it well is a worthy ambition. We can have a great ambition in our community lives to serve the local community, to be involved in a local political party to campaign against injustice, to make a difference in the local, national or international community is a worthy ambition. We can have a great ambition in our recreational lives. To spend time with our family or our friends or just ourselves in rest, relaxation and leisure is a worthy ambition. Because the whole of our life belongs to the Lord, we can serve him in every area of our life. I love this verse from Colossians 3. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The whole of the life, the whole of the world belongs to our Lord. And we can serve him and be ambitious to serve him in the whole of our life. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if we're doing it for the Lord, we will do it the best we can. When uh, I became a Christian, I came back... uh, from university, uh, I found a local church, which was in fact on the estate where I lived. And I didn't realise it was a fantastic church. I didn't know anything about churches, but it was a fantastic church. And I joined it. And there was a man called Dick, who was the road, a road sweeper. He's a member of that church. Do you remember those kind of big hoover things they used to have? They don't sort of have them anymore. And he had this great hoover thing, and he would trundle it around the estate, sweeping up. And he would sort of gossip the gospel of people. He was always smiling. And he said to me one day, he said, I love my job. I love being a road sweeper. Because I'm doing it for the Lord. You see, he's not, not just he's a member of the royal family. He's, under, he's working in his majesty's service. He's doing it for the Lord. Whatever you do, you can do it for the Lord. In that sense, then, it's good to be ambitious. But whatever our ambition may be with respect to our family or working or leisure life, the Bible tells us there's an even greater ambition than all of those things that can powerfully motivate our Christian hearts. The Apostle Paul was a deeply driven, ambitious man who achieved so much by bringing the gospel to the Gentiles He changed the whole course of world history. But this extraordinary man who achieved so much re-evaluated the whole of his life 
in terms of an even greater ambition. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Nobody's saying, not saying these other things are rubbish, but compared to the greatness of Christ, it's as if they're rubbish. That's his point. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Because to Paul, knowing Christ was better than anything else he'd achieved. And so his real ambition, his greatest ambition of all, was directed at knowing this Jesus better. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. For you and me, that can be the great ambition that motivates our lives. That greater ambition. It's greater because knowing Jesus is greater than anything else. And it's greater because it lasts longer. It lasts for eternity. When I was uh, at university... A Christian friend told me about an Indian student who had come to Cambridge. Um, I didn't go to such an exalted university, but this student did. And uh, there had been this great effort to bring him to Cambridge. And uh, a missionary society had raised money, and he had come, and he was a Christian man. And... uh, He had a great time at Cambridge, but he failed his degree. The academic standard was too high. The transition from learning in a foreign language was too great. The cultural gap was too great. And after all these efforts that brought him to Cambridge, he failed, didn't get the degree. And at the end, uh, his minister said to him, Sympathising with him, really, trying to be pastoral. He said, that must have been very, very disappointing for you to come all the way from Cambridge, to all the way from India to Cambridge, and then not to get your degree. And he looked at his ministry and said, well, he said, no. He said, because when I came to Cambridge, I had the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And when I leave Cambridge, I've still got the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And that's the thing that really matters. 
and I'm not disappointed. That's a great thought, isn't it? This greater ambition can be a continuing lifelong challenge and ambition. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this, says Paul, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ, for, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is our goal, that is our ambition that we can all have and we can all strive for. Let's use our God-given ambition and purpose and drive to do great things for God. But let's make it our goal to forget what is behind, to strain forward to what is ahead, to press on towards the goal, to win the prize to which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Um, I've got a little bit more to say, a, a little more, but um, I'm going to do. We're going to have another shortish buzz group, and. Uh, just thinking about ambition, but thinking about St. John's, you've had a little think about what you really love about St. John's. This is the question. What could be a God-pleasing ambition for St. John's to have in the next few years? Okay. Do you want to just, in little bus groups, three or four minutes, what could be a God-pleasing ambition for St. John's to have. Okay, folks. Okay, folks, we'll come back together again now. Um, two or three people like to give us a thought, a God-pleasing ambition... Okay, that sounds, that sounds a bit like a church motto, is it? Is it, is it, is it yeah, anyway. Very good. I'm going to ask, uh, ask you to recite the Southern Vision in a minute if you're not careful. So, right, okay, Any, anything else? Oh, speak up, speak up. Right. We've got. Dare I, dare I give this to Richard? What you should do is grow in outreach, grow in discipleship, and grow the next generation. That's a jolly good ambition. Fantastic. And others, God give ambition. In a sense, I'm not sure if it's how you get manifested, but ideally, where the community views us as being relevant to them. In the widest possible sense. All right, thank you. Let's have one more or two more. Grow more small groups. Grow more small groups. And one more at the back. We thought maybe what would be God-pleasing isn't so much what we do as maybe how we do it. So if we grow, oh. that's great. But 
if it's just within church and not beyond that, beyond the walls of our church, it feels pointless. Right, okay, great. Anything else? Do you want one? Oh. Talking about building schools. Great, okay, thank you very much. One more, we'll do one more. I think ambition should be that we make sure that the, the gospel is preached every Sunday. Fantastic. All right. Okay. So some great, great things. Okay. Uh, just a little bit more. Um, I'm going to speak a little bit from Romans chapter 12. If you want to um, turn to that, you don't need to necessarily. And then we're going to do a few more scenarios. Um, I mentioned um, when I was at university, university chaplain, um, and I want to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he had been a faithful friend to our university Christian Union. Um, He loved us and encouraged us. He was a great Bible teacher uh, and he was a loving pastor to the students at university where his chaplain. But now, with his wife uh, and his young children, he had heeded God's call to go to South Africa. And it was at the very height of the Troubles. No one knew what might befall that nation or this young family that we'd come to love so much. And uh, I always remember the occasion, it was our college CU, it was a seminar room in our college. Um, It was a kind of informal communion, people, you know, guitars, that kind of stuff. And and we were just sitting around on the floor um, and there was a tablecloth spread on the floor and uh, at the end of the service, John and his wife uh, knelt on the floor in front of us, um, and we prayed for him um, and commissioned him. And he said something on that occasion which has stayed with me ever since. Uh, We've just been sharing the bread and the wine, um, and he said this, Gillian and I, that's his wife, We offer ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. It's the only reasonable response to the sacrifice of Christ. That word reasonable really struck me. What he was saying was anything less than that would be unreasonable. It would be disproportionate. And uh, we were very much into sort of modern worship songs. But he asked us then to sing an old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And he said, I'd just like you to make a change in the last verse, if you feel you can. When it gets to, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He said, will you change it with me to this? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. What I realised then, or perhaps I realise even more now, is that John 
had grasped very, very deep in his soul the spirit of Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, of course, we refer to these verses every time we have Holy Communion in the post-communion prayer when we say, offer to you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Where does that come in the service? It comes afterwards. Okay? God gives first. He's given his son. Christ has died on the cross. We receive the bread and the wine as tokens of all that's been done there then what do we do? What's our response? In view of God's mercy, says Paul, you offer your souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. And we pick that up um, in our communion liturgy. The crucial thing for us to recognise, of course, and to remember, is that Christian service is always a response to God's grace. It always comes after. It's never done to win God's love. It's always done as a response to having received God's love. We love because he first loved us. The version of Romans 12 that I read um, talked about a true and proper worship. Other versions say spiritual Other versions use the word that our chaplain used, reasonable. There's an interesting debate, you know, how you translate the Greek word exactly. There's there's elements of all those things in it. Either way, the senses of what's appropriate, of what is a proportionate response to the love of Christ. As John said all those years ago in that seminar room, It's the only reasonable response to the sacrifice of Christ to offer ourselves wholeheartedly and fully in view of God's mercy. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. If you lived in the ancient world, wasn't that a powerful thought, the phrase living sacrifice? Because you knew all about sacrifices, you saw them all around you in both the Jewish temple and in pagan worship. And the thing about sacrifices were they were always dead, weren't they? Animals were killed. This is a different kind of sacrifice, this is a living sacrifice. Not killing an animal, but giving your whole life, your whole self, living for the Lord. In view of God's mercy, taken into account, and I often think all Christian service begins at the foot of the cross. You stand at the foot of the cross, you think what Christ has done for you, and then you think, what is my response to that? Paul goes on in Romans 12, of course, to say that there are many different gifts 
And there are many different ways of serving. And there are many different realms, areas of life in which we can serve. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is in prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's in serving, then serve. If it's in teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But however we serve and wherever we serve, whether it's in the context of God's wonderful church, whether it's in our families, whether it's out in the world, all Christian service begins at the foot of the cross and takes its inspiration from those precious words of the Bible. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my Let's just have a few moments of quiet just to ponder those thoughts. Now folks, just to, we're going to carry on with these, just say how these scenarios fit in. It may feel a bit random, but we wanted to have a, a way of thinking about some of the things we're thinking about to do of service and our motivation for service and ambition related to some real life situations. That's the idea. Um, the idea now is that you go back into your groups and you do one of the other scenarios, or more than one if you have time, but you, you choose which one you want to go for. But what we're trying to get is to make some connections. So having thought about the wonderful ch- nature of God's church, and about the treasure, about who we are, knowing who we are, whatever we're doing, we need to know who we are, um, then thinking about some of the stuff about ambition and a godly ambition and the motivation that we have to serve the Lord in whatever capacity uh, from his love for us. Um, how might some of those truths connect with the people whose situation um, is being described in the scenario? And then we're going to stop in time to take a little bit of feedback from each group. So uh, would you like to go now to back to the groups and just choose another scenario? Okay. Right, folks, we're going to uh, do a bit of feedback. We're going to remain where you're sitting and uh, we're going to uh, come around with a radio mic. What we'd like to do is to get a couple of comments um, from each of the scenarios. So if we could start... Um, over on this side of the church, who's done scenario one? Who's done scenario one? Who, who's, done, who's got something to say about scenario one? Can we have a comment on scenario one? Perhaps on this group one? here. So comment scenario one. one, you might like to have it in front of you. This is um, about Bob taking early retirement. Who's going to... Don't be shy. Alan. Come <laughs> on, Alan. Well, um, we've, we've recognised that Bob has got time, which um, not many people have had, um, that um, there is great value in older people inputting into the lives of younger people, 
Um, so there's, there's great scope there. Um, I think we've, um, I, I didn't precisely say this, but, but the need to recognize uh, the church is a body, the church is a team, and every part matters. And sometimes we only praise the uh, greater parts. And, um, okay. The necessary parts need to be commended as well. Great, thank you. Anyone else got something on, on scenario one? Any other group? Wants? Over, over here. Oh, Can you, they, you can't hear. Do you, I think you might need to move back to... Do you want to move down to the, okay. the seats? So. so this group over here is going to more scenario one, yeah? Yeah, so we talked about scenario one, and we talked about generational. So how most groups, we found like in our church, we normally just stay with our like age group, and we don't actually mix. So home groups will always be one generation and different activities. So that's maybe something we could, because you can learn from each other who are different generations. And we also talked about maybe he just doesn't know what services are like available for him. So like maybe like having service fairs where you can learn about different things you can volunteer to, without feeling like pressurised to volunteer yourself, but like be open to it. Okay. Any one one more on scenario one? No. I think we've done it. The one thing I just thought was just picking up is about practical. He's a practical man. People who've got very good practical gifts. Is that worth using? Over, over there, Eddie, behind you. Oh, um, we thought that uh, as it's Bob and not Bob and his wife then he must be a single man and um, he should then uh, join a small group and be um, learn from all those but if he's a practical man then there's also other things which needed in church like maintenance right Fantastic, brilliant. That's a really important thing. Now, what about scenario two? Um, Sarah, enthusiastic, keen, but very, very busy programme, which she's doing. Who'd, who'd like to speak on scenario two? Don't be shy. Oh, I knew I'd have to run. <laughs> yeah, we've got scenario five, and one of these young ladies is going to explain it. It started on two, but it wasn't very applicable, so here's scenario five. Um, We were talking about how we were, as young people, we don't feel that any of these scenarios really matched up to us, and how even though Matt knew we were going to be in this, we didn't really feel like it was aimed at our group. So maybe thinking about how the church could involve young people and actually being talked to instead of being talked about yeah thank you very much thank you uh, just to say that Pete is in his 20s and Abiola is no age given so don't assume this is an old lady but anyway let, let's hear anyone else on scenario 2 somebody over here um yeah, we talked about scenario two, and uh, we talked a lot about kind of the difficulty of, you know, the kind of the challenge of getting into a home group and kind of getting that community um, when, you know, childcare is a huge thing and it's hard to find a time together as a couple to get uh, that discipleship. Um, but, uh, you know, and so maybe, you know, th- there's a way that we could approach that differently for young families and, um, you know, have 
gender-specific home groups or, or something like that, an alternative solution there. Um, but also kind of in terms of, you know, in the, in the day-to-day, I think uh, sometimes, a, a lot of times I've seen it's easy to kind of slip, slip through without ever being challenged to actually commit, and it's easy to kind of focus on work or focus on the kids. Um, so I think kind of being challenged directly and, and being, you know, feeling like you're expected to contribute um, or, you know, feeling like there's, there's a role for you to play. Um, people actually asking you to, to be involved has made a big difference for us in terms of getting involved. Um, and also kind of hearing testimonies from people that um, also have busy lives uh, but are committed to the church or are contributing in, in some way that, um, that makes sense. Okay, great. And over here, scenario two. Yeah, we, um, we were challenged by the fact that there's no indication that other members of Sarah's family are Christians, for right. instance. And uh, we recognize that uh, all family situations are, are full of complexity and dynamics, which one never gets to know about over coffee after church. So we, that led us on to thinking maybe to get to know people better, build relationships, maybe bring and share lunches regularly at church uh, to encourage people to stay rather than dashing off after services might be a way forward to getting to know, understand family needs more better, you know. Great, okay, thank you. Right, we better move on to... Uh, can I... Sorry, I got given a mic. Oh, one more, okay. Um, on. Just on scenario two... Sorry, I'm hiding around the corner. Um, just one of the key things was, in a sense, Sarah's got three mission fields... Right. There's her discipleship, but she's got the elderly parent, she's got three young children, yeah. or we don't know the age of the children, we've got three children, yeah. and she works in the city. So I guess I would sort of slightly flip the question around, is what is the church doing to equip her in order to be missional in all of those three settings? Okay. And then, then if there's a really clear kind of, it might be a discipleship group that fits one of those or all of those scenarios, that then would equip her to do that. So actually for her, being so busy isn't necessarily about her... St- committing to doing something new to St. To St. John's, but it actually it might be about how can she be, how could we support her with, you know, connect her. And, and, and the church isn't just about St. John's, it's the wider, so there might be a fellowship group in the city that she could be part of or whatever. So helping her think through how she might find discipleship <laughs> opportunities um, in different ways. Okay, great. What, that's really helpful. What about number three now? Number three. Anyone got anything to say about number three? That's no one did number three. Got one over here. Number four? Let's try number Edmund, four. Edmund's got his hand up. Oh, number three over here. Okay, go on then. We, we had a lot to say about number three. We dealt oh. with it first. Um, uh, the, the, it seemed to us there were, there were two, two things about this. Number one, he's had this idea, just dismissing it and treating it as a mad idea packed in the back of the mind. That's not the right answer. It needs to be explored, but that doesn't mean you leap to the other conclusion. And he needs help from the church. The calling is not just one person suddenly gets a calling. The calling comes out of the church. Right. And therefore, prayer, I think that was uh, um, uh, one comment. But 
but just having discussions. Why does he feel called? What are his gifts? Okay. Does he feel called because he doesn't see how he can serve God outside ordained ministry? In which case, how is he going to minister to people who are? Lots of questions, but, but encourage and help exploring. Okay, and obviously that could apply to feeling called to anything. So this is just an example, but it could be anything. What about uh, scenario four? This is about someone who's kind of on the edge of church life and is trying to find a way in. They all want their lunch, isn't it, Gary? That's what's going on. Anyone say anything about Oh, we've got one here. Okay. Uh, Hi, yeah. We had lots of different thoughts about um, this one and we just said that there are uh, a couple of different factors. One, um, about how we... um, make opportunities for people to get involved and that there could be lots of different ways we do that and we need to have lots of different ways and making those really obvious to whether you've been here one month or ten years. Um, We talked about just actually the value of getting to know somebody first before they do anything, actually getting to know somebody as an individual and how uh, that happens and also then the complexities of different church life and if you have come from somewhere that's very different, um, looking and, and, and welcoming new ideas and new expressions uh, of church and, and allowing people to have those opportunities, you know, like the bring and share lunches, you know, how do we actually get to know people and their ideas before we ask them to sign up for something? Okay, just a very quick point of that interesting one is one of the things that also about that is about value of invitation because here's someone who thinks you might need to be asked so if you give a general thing every, anyone can do this you can sign up there's still people who don't feel they're going to stand back from that so some people need that personal invitation it may be partly about that let's hear from this group here I think we're probably that's our last one um, just to, to add to that, I mean, she seems quite confident. She's already said she wants to do something. She wants to put herself forward. So it's really knowing that the newsletter, the bulletin that comes up, um, has got really clear instructions about how to get involved. We thought maybe a couple of photos in there of the people right. that you might approach. Um, and also the welcome team. I mean, their job also could extend to following up the new people that come into church, making sure they have found them at the end of the service, making sure they do know the roles they could get involved in. Great, thank you.